Hello out there and welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean, to break down some more avalanche hockey. The avalanche score five and get a W. The avalanche give up five and get a loss. We'll get into that. Of course, more injuries to talk about. And then Jared Bednar's extension. We're going to get into all of this. But Arif, first, I wanted to start today's conversation simply about desperation, right? I mean, it felt like last night... The Pittsburgh Penguins played a much more desperate game than the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, laying out for for block shots, really getting physical, and the Avalanche just didn't seem to match that desperation. I know after the game, Jared Bednar wouldn't necessarily agree, but from you know our bird's eye view up in the press box, I definitely didn't see the same intensity out of the Avalanche as I saw from the Pittsburgh Penguins. So my question to you, Arif, was is desperation here. Uh, were the Avalanche playing desperate enough did you see an extra level of desperation out of Pittsburgh like I did and what did the Avalanche got to do to kind of maybe you know intensify their level of play here throughout the regular season so the biggest thing with desperation and and setting the tone in that manner look I know there are momentum swings in hockey games I mean we saw a game about a month and a half ago where the Avs trailed I think three nothing to Edmonton and ended up winning six five or whatever it was in overtime so those momentum swings do happen, but we've seen it time and time again. What's your favorite sentence to say when you want to imitate Jared Bednar post game? I didn't like our start. Bingo. It's that. It's it's usually that because when you're playing – so in a general game, there are momentum swings. But when you're playing a game of desperation, when you set the tone as the more desperate team, it's hard to take that away. So in the first period, neither team really was able to get a hold. It was 10 shots each, not many opportunities going either way. A couple of big saves. There was a very fortunate McKinnon hit the crossbar, came back, and I think hit hit Jari in the back of his helmet or the head or something, and then like went down and they kept it out. Uh, Sick play by Nathan McKinnon on that, by the way. Um, There was another play. I think uh, Georgiev made a couple big saves. No one really took a hold of the first period, but as soon as the Penguins came out, and showed that they were the more desperate team, I can no longer have a conversation of were the Avs playing with enough urgency. I can have the conversation of the Pittsburgh Penguins certainly will or were. So that's kind of the way that I see it. I see it as the Penguins came out and had the better start, even if it was in the second period. They got a hold of that urgency, of that desperation first, And the Avalanche were unable to take it back from them. And that's what we saw. So that I didn't like our start part of the game. That's going to be the most important thing for this team when they play the Minnesota Wild next Wednesday. And then you got two days off and then you got the Dallas Stars on Saturday, both of them on home ice, both of them at Ball Arena. So the Avalanche, because those are going to be desperate games for both teams right now, you're looking at the standings. All three of those teams, it's kind of similar to that Tampa, Boston, Toronto thing you got going on in, in the uh, in the other division. Uh, it's that the winner gets to play a wild card team. The winner of these three teams gets to play a wild card team in, I don't know, Seattle or Winnipeg or Calgary. Pick your crappy team that you're going to beat. The uh, second and third place team have to face each other. And then if they win, have to go on and face the first place team. So it is a tougher road to the to the final four if you don't win the division. So those games will have a lot of urgency, a lot of desperation from Minnesota, from Dallas. You got to grab a hold of that urgency first, because once you do, the other team's on their heels. 
I'd say despite Pittsburgh's urgency and desperation, you know, you even brought it up. The first period was was good from the Avalanche. A lot of pushback and, you know, kept dangerous chances to a minimum. I mean, both sides did. It was a good five-on-five game, but we we heard from Jared Bednar. We saw with our own eyes that the difference in the game was the special teams. The Pittsburgh Penguins had a, had a handful of power play opportunities there in the second. They capitalized on two of them. Um, later on in the game, the Avalanche were able to capitalize on one, but really the Avalanche were just unable to stay out of the box and just kept giving Pittsburgh some power play chances. And, and that's really where the desperation kicked in, right? They, they saw their opportunity. They saw a little window of hope and they were able to capitalize. Yeah. I mean, look, with, with a team with that many weapons on the power play, granted they're only 14th in the NHL in the PP, which is kind of wild. Who knows how? Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know how Crosby, Latang, and uh, Malkin and Gensel and Rust aren't scoring every time they're out there. Like, that's a great unit to have. It's very similar to Landeskog, McKinnon, Ranton, and Kadri, Makar. It's just talent, 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 talent. Like, it's, it's a great unit, but... What we saw from that power play from the Penguins and what we saw from them drawing those penalties was a veteran team that knew what they had to do to get penalties. The Avalanche, you know, they, you know, there were some, there were some shaky calls there. Bowen Byram got high stick that would have given the Avalanche a five on three, which is what the Penguins had and what they scored on. There was also the Darren Helm and Sidney Crosby tussle behind the net where uh, Darren Helm ended up getting an extra two minutes. So Crosby got two, Helm got four. Uh, the Penguins got a power play after that. I think they scored on that one too. I could be wrong. Um, and yeah, with that sure one, did. yeah, with that one, Jared Bednar wasn't happy with it. Said that the refs gave him two or two or three or whatever different explanations for what happened there. So he wasn't really too happy about that. But what we saw was a team that is very skilled and very good at drawing penalties, and they did a good job at it. And then once they got that power play momentum, they kept it up. It felt like. For the first time in seemingly all season, even with the Edmonton Oilers games where you're playing the top-ranked power play, I don't know about you, but I got this feeling every time the Penguins got the power play that they were going to keep the puck there the entire two minutes and it was going to be a dangerous opportunity. I haven't felt that like level of low confidence in the Avalanche's PK in quite a while. And it's not because the PK wasn't necessarily doing the job, which obviously they didn't twice, but one of them was a five-on-three, but... It was because looking at the Penguins and the way they were playing, you kind of got the sense that like, yeah, they're going to score. They're they're here on a mission and they're here to score. So the special teams battle was where they lost it. I think if if the Bowen Byron penalty was called, the high stick that he took from Brian Russ and the Avs had a five on three, we'd probably have a different game because the Avs would have a five on three entering the third for a minute 11 or minute nine or whatever it was. Probably score on that. And then we obviously saw them later on get a goal from Miko Ranton and tie the game up. But yeah, I mean, even with the special teams, the more desperate team won and the more desperate team was the team not fighting for a first place division and an easier opponent. It was a team fighting for their playoff lives, fighting for a 16 year playoff streak, fighting for a wild card position that they had a month ago. And now they've seen kind of get away from them. Tristan Jari's been pulled in four of his last 11 games. The Penguins had lost four straight. They got shut out by the New York Rangers, I think, 6 nothing or 7 nothing over the weekend. Like, they needed that win, and they proved it in every single way. I also think there's an element, you know, I know up and down the lineup, you have guys that can kill penalties. But if you look at the names that were in the box for the Avalanche last night, you had O'Connor, Helm, Cogliano. I mean, those are penalty killers, right? You, you had to almost kill the penalties shorthanded not necessarily yeah. using the guys that you'd like to use um so i you know i don't want to blame that for being the issue on the penalty kill but you know that there there is something to think about there um and you know i don't want to get into the whole oh the refs called the game unevenly because 
that's just sports, right? That's, that's the way all associations kind of work. And, and yeah, you're all, you're all sometimes up against the refs too. So no real excuses there. Just this is go ahead. Look, this is something. And I, and I, I gotta say it because I've tried this like this, this thing before and it's worked every single time it works. If you're ever watching an avalanche, because we all get the tweets, you, me, Peter, Bob, Bennett, every reporter, we get the tweets the the, the, the refs are out to get the abs and, the conspiracy against Colorado for some reason. The DNVR and, guys get them the worst. I sit yeah. next to Jesse and some of the tweets he gets, is just like, oof. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the reason why I don't see him as often is because when I get a lot of those tweets, I usually mute those people. So I don't <laughs> see them anymore. Um, but the, here, here's the thing that I want you guys to try. Just, just call it a little game. When you're watching a game, avalanche versus this is, who are they playing? Arizona. Let's, let's go with that one. The game on Friday. Try for a period or for a half a period to put yourself in the shoes of an Arizona Coyotes fan and watch the game from their standpoint rather than the Av standpoint. Because you're going to do it and you're going to be like, oh, Lars Eller just tripped that guy and it wasn't cold. Kale McCarr kind of got low on that hit, wasn't cold. That's definitely an interference on Nathan McKinnon. What the hell was Logan O'Connor doing there? And you're going to start to notice that missed calls happen both ways. But I know this because I covered the Avalanche. When I watch an Avalanche game, and when I was an Avalanche fan, and I've been watching Avalanche games my entire life, I look at it from the lens of an Avs follower. And I watch it from that view. And I see the missed call on Bowen Byram. But if you go back and review the tapes from yesterday's game and watch it from a Pittsburgh Penguins standpoint, I promise you, you'll find two, three, four things that should have been called. And had the Pittsburgh Penguins lost, you would then tweet the refs were out to get us and they were supporting the abs and they were not giving us the calls. The Bowen Byram one is the biggest and clearest and most obvious one of the game. 100% that should have been a penalty. Um, but you can't hang your head on that as a loss. You lost 5-2 obviously an empty netter. You lost four, two, you were down two to nothing. You made it two to one. Pittsburgh got away from you with a Jeff Carter goal. You made it three to two. Pittsburgh got away with from you with another Jeff Carter goal. Like you had opportunities, but you weren't taking advantage of them. Uh, so I just want you guys to try that with the power, with, with the penalties and with the missed calls, because I promise you what happens both ways. I get what you're saying hundred percent and I'm, I'm on board with it, but I also think there's an element of the Avalanche's style of play, almost going all the way up to Jared Bednar's philosophies, right? He wants hard work. He wants, you know, staying out of nonsense. And I think at this point in the season, and you saw it last night against Pittsburgh, there is a whole thing of the game within the game, right? It's the, the referees almost want to keep whistles to a minimum, let these guys play it out. The, you know, that there, there are, I guess, MOs that the referees have that aren't necessarily, you know, I guess, standard throughout the regular season. I think at this point of the, of the year, referees are going to let a little bit more slide, maybe some stuff behind the play go. And I don't yeah. think that benefits the Avalanche because the Avalanche are very much about hard work. And when they get into penalties, a lot of times it's frustration. And, and you know, they let the non-calls get to them. You know, we've seen it out of Miko Ranton and all year, all year long. So I think I'm with you 100%, but I also think there's a small pinch of the way the Avalanche play that is just not suited for the swallowing the whistle type of games. You want to know what their best way of combating that is? Goals. Bingo. Control the puck, play your game, 
be strong on the forecheck and don't worry about the outside noise because in the 2021 playoffs against the Vegas Golden Knights, the Avs won game one. They kind of had a little bit of a gift in game two to get the power play to win that game. Pete DeBoer came out and said, what the fuck's going on with these calls? The Avalanche took a bunch of calls. The Vegas Golden Knights took over. They controlled. They dominated. They swept the Avs four straight games and beat them in six. The very following year, the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. They didn't let it get to them. So that's the kind of game you're going to have to play. And I know you don't have the same skill as last year. I know you're a middle-of-the-pack team in terms of goals per game this year. But you still have the star power to do it. This goes back to the very first thing. I didn't like our start. You got to be good so that Jared likes your starts, so that you can get the early leads, so that you can be in the driver's seat rather than being frustrated, taking penalties and you know, not benefiting from that style of game that you see in March and April. And, you know, this is nothing new to them. They just won the friggin' cup. They played until June 26th. They've seen what playoff hockey is. They've seen what that whistle swallowing type of game can be. And they managed to get through it. So you just kind of got to get reacclimated, readjusted to that. Let's keep the, like you said, the frustrations to a minimum. I mean, the five on three goal, you can't blame the PK for not killing that. But what you can blame is, I think it was Cogliano, after Curtis McDermott took a penalty, while killing a penalty, Cogliano took a penalty. So you can blame the PK because one of your key pieces of the PK took a penalty at the most inopportune time. So you can't let that kind of stuff happen and, and you'll be fine. That's it's what they did a year ago. And again, you don't have the same firepower. You might not get Landis Cog back. Who the hell knows? But you still have the right players, the right format, the right, not format, sorry, the right system to take advantage of these games, get a hold of it early, and let the game come to you. I guess I want to transition that into the next conversation of Curtis McDermott because you brought him up. You also brought up Ooh. the idea of having guys in the lineup that are, you know, going to help you stay calm, that are going to help you overcome the frustrations of a physical game, a whistle swallowing game. Curtis McDermott in the game last night, of course, against Pittsburgh Penguins with not ac no action taken um, against Jeff Carter, who, of course, took Kale McCarr out, maybe even still lingering from that uh, chicken wing hit to the head that that happened a few weeks back. So your thoughts on Curtis McDermott not taking any action um, last night and and just not putting any fear in the hearts. And look, Jeff Carter goes and puts up, what, two goals, was it? Yeah. Um, the, the NHL is just not played that way anymore. It just isn't. Uh, my biggest issue with Curtis McDermott isn't that he didn't go out and do that. It's that the Avalanche are playing him at defense. The reason why Curtis McDermott wasn't an issue a season ago, I know there was always people that are complaining every time he's in the lineup, and I get it. He shouldn't be, and that's why he didn't play a playoff game. I think the team understands that. Granted, you're, what, five, six, seven injuries deep right now at both forward and D. Uh, you have three defensemen missing. You have Josh Manson, Kale McCarr, and Eric Johnson, a guy from each pair. So obviously, you got to play someone eventually. But my big issue with Curtis McDermott is you're playing him at defense. When you're playing him at defense, you're one of the six guys back there. You're giving him more responsibility. When he has more responsibility, he can't play the game that he's meant to play, which is to strike fear, like you said, in the opponent's heart. I would not, even if he was a fourth-line left winger on a stacked team with Landeskog, Burakovsky, Kadri, and all the weapons they had a year ago, I still would not expect Curtis McDermott to go after Jeff Carter. I would not expect it. But what, what I would expect is a Curtis McDermott on the fourth line playing 30-second shifts two to three times a period, so for a total of about four and a half to five and a half minutes, going out there, running around, setting the tempo, setting the energy, hitting guys into the boards, finishing his checks, obviously trying not to take penalties, but finishing his checks, really setting the physical tone for the avalanche, 
to get their top guys out there the very next shift to go out and score a goal. That's the role that Curtis McDermott should be playing. But when you play him on defense defense, and you give him more responsibility, now he's more prone to taking the penalties of, you know, I'm getting beat on this play. I'm going to hook a guy. I'm going to slash a guy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to cross check a guy, which he took one minor yesterday, but that's my issue with that. I would not have expected him to go after Jeff Carter because the NHL's not played that way anymore. This isn't, this isn't the early 2000s. I think I think I would expect him to go after Jeff Carter, but to your point, that's not the way it's played any anymore. I would fully expect Jeff Carter to decline the invitation over yeah. and over he's, and over. He's not he's not going to try to fight him. That's that's not the way it works. I mean, Scott Scott Parker back in the day wasn't going out and fighting like Thomas Holmstrom on the Red sure. Wings. Like that's not the way it works. But what you can do if you were a fourth line winger playing with let's just throw two names out there, uh, Matt Nieto and Darren Helm. You go out there in a shift against the line that Jeff Carter is on. You throw a couple of hits. You set the tempo physically, and you kind of show, like, I'm here, and I'm here to hit a guy. Like, that's that's ultimately what the purpose of a player like Curtis McDermott is. I mean, think back if you were in middle school, and you were getting bullied by a bunch of kids, or you're in high school, and you're getting bullied by a bunch of kids. So the next day, you walk home from school with the six foot seven linebacker on the football team that, like, exploded and became a big guy at 14 years old you feel a lot better. You feel a lot better that you're not going to get bullied. You're walking with your chest puffed a little bit more. That's ultimately the role of an enforcer of that style of player because enforcers don't even exist much anymore. But you got to play him on a wing position, on a fourth line where in a regular season game, it can be a little bit more irrelevant than playing defense or than playing in a playoff game. So that's kind of my big issue with the Curtis McDermott thing. If you see him playing in the playoffs, Last year he didn't, but if you see him playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, whether at forward or at D, it's because the avalanche injuries have just completely destroyed them once again um, because ultimately he shouldn't be playing in the playoffs because in the playoffs, even your fourth-line wingers, this is something we said about the Tampa Bay series last year over and over again, even your fourth-line winger matters. Every single player that played in that Tampa-Colorado series played a role, was effective. There were no passengers. Right. You cannot have a passenger. So... That's that's ultimately why it ended up the way it did. And and Jeff Carter, 11 goals on the season, two of them yesterday. That's just funny the way it works sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you had Brad Hunt in the lineup, Jack Johnson in the lineup, Curtis McDermott in, McDermott in the lineup. And, of course, with EJ and Makar out, you hope to get those guys back for playoffs. You only have to play one of those three guys in the playoffs. But Curtis McDermott and Jack Johnson were, pair, were a pairing a couple times, making me a little bit nervous last night. But they finished the night at an even zero Um Sam Girard, a minus three, if you want to look at anomalies yeah. or things that I are mean, standing out there. Plus minus is what it is. It's not always um it's not always the best stat to use. I mean, on the on the I mean, like for example, Jack Johnson. The reason why Jack Johnson was an even instead of a plus one is because Sam Girard got dipsy doodled by Sidney Crosby and he sent a 68 mile per hour backhand into the top shelf. Like 68 miles per hour on the back. I can't do that with a slap shot. <laughs> so um that's why, you know, Jeff, that's why uh, Jack Johnson was a minus one on one of the goals, which obviously was made up later. But um, with with uh, pairings like that, ultimately, like I know you kind of sit there like, why are they playing together? But then again, you got Gerard Taves and Byram and then you got Hunt McDermott and Jack Johnson. You're not going to play a Curtis McDermott shift with Bo. 
You're not going to play him with Devon. You're not going <laughs> to waste those kinds of shifts. It's going to happen. This is what happens when you are way down your depth chart to this level. Why it would have been nice if the Avalanche traded a fifth rounder or sixth rounder in future years for like one extra defensive body. Um, but it just, the market wasn't out there. The fact that they got Jack Johnson itself is good because could you imagine if that was Andreas Engeland? It, it, it brings you down a couple levels. So again, the, the, the D injuries, no team is going to have a good defensive core when you're three injuries deep, like the Avalanche are and Kel McCarr, Josh Manson and Eric Johnson. Josh Manson too. I keep forgetting about him. It's been yeah. so long. Um, Sidney Crosby, let's take a second to deviate from the avalanche and let's just spend a couple a minutes talking about Sidney Crosby because that was just the epitome of Sidney Crosby last night, right? I mean, I feel like he's had a couple games. As you mentioned, the Pittsburgh was on a four-game losing streak. Sidney Crosby brought it last night. It was fun to watch him. He almost dominated Nathan McKinnon at times too, which was a little frustrating to watch Nathan McKinnon cover him in the defensive zone, but man, what a night from Sidney Crosby and, and what a treat we all got um, to see at ball arena last night. Do you know how good you got to be to be a point per game player, a better than a point per game player every single season from 2006 to 2023? People not don't to, do that. Not to mention the way he plays, right? I mean, he plays such a hard nose physical against the boards in the corners style. Like how has he had this kind of longevity? He's the most talented grinder the NHL has ever seen. The most talented third liner the NHL has ever seen. Like Steve Eiserman has, which is a record that Connor McDavid could potentially break this year. The most points in a single season, not by Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux, because they have like the top 12 most productive seasons. But the best season in NHL history from a player not named Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky is Steve Eiserman with 155, which, by the way, Connor McDavid needs 19 points in 10 games to pass that, which is very doable for him. 155 points. He followed it up with 127, then 108, then 103, then 137, then 82 points in only 58 games. But Steve Eiserman also had a 38-point season in 47 games an eight-point season in 16, a 51-point season in 75, a 34-point season in 61 games. He had seasons where he wasn't a point-per-game pace. Joe Sackick, I believe, his last season was very similar, the the year where he, um, you know, the snowblower. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> favorite memory of Joe Sackick, 12 points in 15 games. In 08, he had 40 and 44. Uh, in 1998, 63 in 64 games. So even Joe Sackick, his first season, 62 points in 70 games. Sidney Crosby put up over 100 points in his first season. It is impossible almost to have a point-per-game season every single season of your career. Peter Forsberg did it until 2011 when he came back and played two games and had zero points. So you know, even if you want to take that out, what was Peter Forsberg's career? 10 seasons? Sidney Crosby's at 18 and he's still doing it. He's got 84 points in 71 games. Like, it's unbelievable what this guy is doing. He had that stat that I gave you yesterday that sounds confusing when you first say it. First player in NHL history to score 30 goals as an 18-year-old and then to score 30 goals again over the age of 35 because yesterday he hit 30. So his longevity, his consistency, he's... It's weird to say that Sidney Crosby is one of the more underappreciated stars in the NHL and pretty much has been his entire career. And had it not been for that little stint of uh, concussion issues, um, we could have seen seasons where Sid puts up 130, 140 points like we're seeing from Connor. Because 
in 09 when the Pens won the cup, he had 103. Then he had 109. Then he had 66 points at the halfway mark of the season before the concussion issues. So that's a pace of 132. Then in 2012, he only played 22 games, 37 points in 22 games. Then in 2013, he played less than a half a season, 56 points in less than a half a season. Like he very easily could have put up 120, 130, 140. So he's he's unbelievable. That backhander yesterday was vintage Sidney Crosby. We've seen him score that goal many, many times in his career. And, and, and I got to say it again, 68 miles per hour on a backhander from beyond the hash marks into the top corner of a net. Yep, most wicked backhander in the league. But that's not even the moment that stood out to me. There was a very subtle point where I looked at Sidney Crosby and said, that's why he's as good as he is, because it's all in the details. It's all in the subtleties. It's all in the things that other people aren't willing to do. And the play I'm talking about was just a routine save from Alexander Georgiev, right? And Sidney Crosby was at about the, the top of the circles, kind of looping around and suddenly facing the net at the time Georgiev made the save. What Crosby does, even though Georgiev had the, the puck secured, ready for a whistle, Crosby sprints from the top of the circle, crashing the net just in case that rebound comes loose, just in case any sort of weird mishap happens and, and the puck's available. And I'm like, the burning desire, the competitiveness that you have to have after this long playing in the NHL to still want to make that kind of play, nobody even covered him because they didn't anticipate him doing something like that, right? So had the puck gotten loose, Crosby would have been there all by himself to, to put it home probably. And again, it's just like, the hard stuff that he does throughout the game, protecting the puck, battling on the wall, to still have the energy and, again, the competitive desire inside of him to attack the net at a moment like that at such a low percentage chance, that's why he's so great. The small effort details that he throws into the game. It's unbelievable how good he can be any night, any year, any day. Again, he's the most skilled most talented third line forward the NHL has ever seen in the sense where he plays. He's not out there wowing you with his skill. He's not doing what Nathan McKinnon does or what Connor McDavid does. He's out there busting his ass off with a strong low center of gravity. He's got the biggest legs you'll see in the NHL. You cannot knock this guy off his feet. It is yeah. impossible to muscle Sidney Crosby off the puck or to knock him down. You, you can't do it. Yes. He's so good in those tight areas in the crease. You can have Josh Manson and Eric Johnson in his prime out there trying to attack this guy and bring him down. And it, he's, he's not going to go down. That's what makes him so good. Yeah. I mean, you even saw it when Nathan McKinnon was covering him in the defensive zone, he wouldn't even, um, I guess, attack him all that much. He'd more so just follow him to make sure, you know, he wasn't because he knows some he sort of escape knows. play. Yeah, exactly. If anybody has familiarity with him, it's yeah. him, right? Yep. Um, let's take a halftime, guys. Halftime, halftime for Superbook Sports. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond sitting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts everywhere, anywhere, and promo bets as well. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We're already through the first quarter. Hopefully, all the uh, bettors out there are at least a, a little bit of a leg up on Vegas. I know I'm I'm still trying to catch up, but but doing well, doing well. Um. I feel like the end of that ad read too. I wish I could could 
talk a lot faster, you know, like how they would do it on a radio commercial. Yeah. Visit Superbook. Yeah, my promo code, 1-800-522-4700. Visit superbooksports.com for terms and Man, I can't read that fast. I tried. <laughs> I tried. Um, all right, let's get into some injuries, Arif. Of course, on Monday during the 5 nothing win to the Blackhawks, Alexander Georgiev's fifth shutout of the year, by the way, puts him in, puts him at the top of the NHL. But Evan Rodriguez leaves the game. Sounds like concussion issues. Um, kind of a weird hit, weird play that followed the hit. Um, yeah, just get into Evan Rodriguez. And obviously, he's a guy that we were really starting to warm up to. We loved the way he looked with McKinnon and Ranton. And now we got to take a pause on, on seeing Evan Rodriguez do his magic. Yeah, Evan Rodriguez, he's in concussion protocol, which we learned from Jared Bednar, I believe, is a 10-day protocol where you got to pass these concussion tests every day. So, you know, if he got the concussion on, what was that, Monday, probably put into protocol Tuesday, you can see him back by next weekend when you play the Dallas Stars on Saturday. Like, it's a possibility as long as his issues don't kind of continue. If not Saturday, maybe the very next game after that. Again, you know, there was a lot of issues with the avalanche, which, you know, a lot of questions, I should say, of did they rush Kale McCarr back? But this is the protocol. This is how they handle it. This is how the NHL handles it. So it doesn't seem like it's too crazy at this point. There was a Penguins reporter yesterday, obviously, because Rodriguez played for the Pens last year. Uh, there was a Penguins record, uh, reporter yesterday that ran into Rodriguez in the hallway, and he was so polite to her and was uh, talking to her and chatting with her and, and uh, hey, how are you? So he seemed to be in good spirits, but also Jared Bednar explained to him that uh, <clears throat> that uh, explained about him a couple of days ago at practice that he's doing not great was the way he explained it, which doesn't sound good. Um, Jared also said in that in that presser after practice that there's no question that there was head contact, but I don't know if it was a if it was avoidable. So it is unfortunate. Again, this is just you know the avalanche. This is this is what happens. Like <laughs> I don't know how what you got to do. What kind of what kind of like something you got to do to to stop losing guys because it feels like every time you're getting some back, you're losing some again. You lost Arturi Lekkinen on a Monday, and then you lost Evan Rodriguez the following Monday. Like it's 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 becoming really unfortunate that these injuries are continuing to pile on. But for the Avs and for Evan Rodriguez, you just hope that it's a 10 to 14 day thing and he'll be back up and running. Yeah, I guess the good news is I don't I don't think that there's much of a history with Evan Rodriguez and concussions. So this might be just an isolated incident. Nothing we have to worry about maybe resurfacing or, you know, maybe being a more of a long term thing. You just never know. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't. But um, I think I'm feeling good about it, I guess, is all I'm saying. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to have the same kind of like this is bad feeling as, as other concussions or other injuries have. So you just kind of got to hope that it's like a 10 to 14 day thing. Right. I mean, obviously the abs miss him in the lineup, but I also think he's such a good locker room guy too. Right. I, I just love his personality. Very positive guy. Very friendly guy. Yeah, Such um, a nice guy. Yeah. So rooting for Evan Rodriguez to get back here soon. And with that, the reinsertion of Darren Helm in the lineup plays his sixth game of the season. Your thoughts on Darren Helm? How did how did he look? Um, I guess before you go, I'll, I'll simply mention in his post game interview, um, he's the only guy we talked to because, of course, that locker room was dreadful to be in. It was a little bit extra somber in there, a little bit extra <laughs> sad. They knew they kind of let an opportunity slip to take over the Central Division. Um, so we all talked to Darren Helm, and one of the first questions asked of Darren Helm was, "How did your body feel tonight?" And to me, this is just my, un, I don't know, uneducated opinion, I guess, just trying to read body language and read his answer. He took a pause, 
<laughs> and then he kind of chuckled. <laughs> it almost felt like in his head he's saying, do I tell the truth here or do I lie? Uh, and then I'm he came out with said, great. I feel great. <laughs> yeah, I feel great. Everything's great. Uh, look, you're not going to be a 35-year-old veteran in the NHL without feeling some kind of way. Just ask Eric Johnson, uh, who turned 35 on March 21st. Happy birthday to the big man EJ. But um, yeah, I saw that yesterday. I was looking at his stats page. I was like, oh, hey, he just turned 35. So like, it's the same thing with Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson is going to get healthy here in the next week or two and play hockey. And you can ask him the same thing and he'll do the exact same thing. Kind of like, what, what do you think? I'm not a hockey player and my back hurts sitting on this chair. What do you think these guys are feeling like, dude? Like it's, it is a tough sport. And, and my favorite quote about Darren Helm, I'm, I, I, I know his wife and my favorite thing that she told me this summer was, Darren waited until his 14th season in the NHL to lead the playoffs and hits for some reason. <laughs> like that's just the kind of thing that he did this year. He he's, he's a guy that decided to uh, up the ante, up the emotion, up the intensity here in the playoffs. And he was an integral piece of the Stanley cup championship run because of that in the, in the regular season last year, was he anything special? Not really. He was, he was a guy, he was good. He was a good depth guy. Um, but he turned from good depth guy to no passengers that I was talking about by the time the Stanley cup final rolled around. So that's kind of what you're hoping. You're hoping that he can ramp it up here in the next 11 to 12 games, which is plenty of time for a veteran who's been around since 2008 to, to figure out 2007, I should say, to figure out how to, how to be ready for the playoffs. And we are less than a month away from the playoffs beginning as crazy, beginning as crazy as that sounds. So you know, by then you hope Darren Helm is the guy he was last year. A lot of ice packs, a lot of uh, ice baths, a Bengay. lot of I'm all about a lot Bengay. of dengue, a lot of massages, a lot of uh, some CBD oil, some some Russian even, gas, whatever you got to do to feel good and finish off the playoffs. Hopefully, win another cup and ride off into the sunset. In yeah, I mean, in Michigan. You already you already saw him kind of bring in that intensity, that playoff level energy. He was. Um, tackling Sidney Crosby exactly that. like uh, yeah that's it that. all right there yep. you know he's ready you know he's like you know this isn't January anymore I'm I'm here for I'm here for you know a week or not a week but a few weeks before the playoffs like I gotta bring it right right and we we're just talking about how nobody wanted to body Sidney Crosby Darren Helm said watch me <laughs> watch me do he waited till he was already down and was like great best time to attack <laughs> his back turns attack um all right yeah Good conversation on the injuries, I guess. A little injury update there for you. But the list of guys Avalanche are waiting to return is pretty significant. A lot of important players, a lot of guys that could really be making a difference. So, um, you know, I think the Avalanche played a decent game against Pittsburgh. But, wow, what they could have done with a full lineup. And I don't know. Yeah. I You know, I think a lot of Avalanche fans are expecting it to be like last year where everybody got reinserted into the lineup. I'm hoping that's the case come playoff time. But uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on 100% success there. Look, here's what I'm going to say. As far as I'm concerned, this is not me citing any sources. This is just my opinion. As far as I'm concerned, I am mentally preparing for a Stanley Cup playoffs without Gabe Landeskog. For him to not play a single game. So that if he does play, it's a bonus. I'm going to say this again. With the defense this team has, if that defense is healthy, you don't need a Gabe Landeskog to win the Stanley Cup. You'll be a hell of a lot better with him, but good teams win cups. Hell, excellent teams like the Avalanche win cups while missing a player. The Tampa Bay Lightning did it in 2020. 
Steven Stamkos came in, played a couple shifts, scored a goal, was never to be seen again in the Stanley Cup final. Peter Forsberg missed the third and fourth round, and there was no way in hell the Avalanche were going to beat the defending cup champion New Jersey Devils with Marty Brodeur and Scott Stevens without Peter Forsberg. Nope, they did it. They beat him in seven games. Obviously, it was a tough challenge. With Forsberg, you probably could have beaten, you know, not just Stevens, but Scott Niedermeyer and Brian Rafalski and that whole crazy-ass team. You probably could have done it a little sooner. So, Gabe Landeskog aside, Manson's close, Makar's close, Eric Johnson's close. These guys got to stay healthy. Them three with Jack Johnson as your number seven, with Bowen Byram, Devon Taves, and uh, Sam Girard. If Sam Gerard breaks another sternum, you got Jack Johnson to throw in again, another sternum as if you got like five. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you have those seven guys healthy, this team can win a cup. Obviously, you can't be as many injuries deep at forward because, you know, you're losing a top six forward in Gabe Landeskog and you're losing a top six forward in Arturi Lekkanen. They're both missing from the lineup. You're also missing a top six forward in Evan Rodriguez, who's only a top six forward because Gabe Landeskog hasn't played all year and you're missing him too. So now you have both Alex Newhook and Dennis Malgin in your top six. Not ideal. Not what you were expecting a week and a half ago when you entered Montreal with Lekanen and with Rodriguez. So Gabe Landeskog, I'm, I'm mentally preparing as if he's not playing another game. And if he comes in, hell yeah. You know the Avalanche aren't going to you know half-ass it and play him a couple minutes here or there. Like, we know how this team operates. Jared Bednar said it morning skate yesterday. Are you going to, he was asked if he was going to limit Darren Helms minutes or his play or whatever. He said, no, the guy's healthy enough to play. He's playing his role. Darren Helm knew this time around, I'm waiting even longer and I'm going to be even more cautious to come back until I'm ready to play the style of game that I can play. And we saw him play exactly that. And, you know, tussling with Sidney Crosby for a little bit there. So if or when Gabe Landeskog comes back, you're injecting a 19 to 20 minute left winger into your top six, probably on your top line to play that role. But without him, this team is still good enough if those damn defensemen could stay healthy. Yeah, 16 teams get in, 16 teams have a chance, just about how you're playing at the time of the playoffs, right? So they've played pretty decent throughout the year with a very roller coaster of a lineup. And look at them fighting for the central division here um, with what? 12 games to go. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, you're right. They, they are equipped to get it done. It's just about what type of hockey they're playing come playoff time. Absolutely. They're, they, they have the team for it. Like, they genuinely do. All right, let's get to uh, the Jared Bednar extension. Um, extended for a few, few more years. And I guess where I want to start here is we, we heard the press conference for him after the extension, right? Obviously happy to get it out of the way. But what stood out to me was a particular sentence where he says, there were a few times things got hairy and yep. the front office stuck with me, right? And so I, I guess to you, of course, we know the 48-point season. I don't think they were going to can him that early. So there must have been more situations that got hairy after that. Did you Did you listen to the whole presser? I guess not. Okay, because he said that. Three more questions were asked, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I told, I followed up on that. I said, 48-point season aside, what were the other moments where you felt like there was some pressure on you? Your job was in jeopardy. Things got hairy. Things got hairy. Bingo. And he cited two things. The first one is the obvious one, which take a wild guess. The loss to Vegas. 
Right. Yeah. Like the loss to Vegas was the obvious one because we heard Jared Bednar say it then. We heard him say it last year. We've heard it say it this year. In 2019, when we lost to the Sharks in game seven, it was a heartbreaker, but we were building. In 2020, you got to place that on the bad luck of all the injuries that they had against Dallas in game seven. 2021, we were ready. We had it. It was right there. So that was the first one that he mentioned. The other one that he mentioned, I forgot about because it was such a long time ago. In the 2019 season, do you remember the incredible run Philip Grubauer went on in March and April to get them into that second wildcard spot? I do. He was like 13, one and two. And Varley just had to sit and watch. And Varley just had to sit and watch as the new goalie that was going to be a tandem guy for a season finally said, because Grubauer sucked that year early. October, mm -hmm. November, December, January, and even February. He was like an 880, 890. He wasn't figuring it out with his new team. And then March and April, he went on this tear to squeak the avalanche into the playoffs as a second wildcard position where they went on to beat the Calgary Flames in five games after losing game one. They beat them four straight times, took the San Jose Sharks to seven, a very, very deep and stacked San Jose Sharks team. He mentioned that portion. He said late in the season in the 2018-19 year, we had just gotten to the playoffs and finally had some kind of, you know, bit of playoff action and in, in playing the Nashville Predators and losing in six games. And we followed it up with a season where we felt we had a team that can make the playoffs. But in the last chunk of the season, we were reeling, we were struggling. We were, you know, we had a chance of missing. But then we went on a run late. He didn't mention Grubauer's name, but that's the player that I always remember from that run. We went on a run late. We squeaked in. We got in as the number two as the number two wild card position, and then we went on to take the San Jose Sharks to seven games. So history is what it is, man. Like, had the Avalanche not had that run, like think about it, Bedner's career would have started as the worst season in history of this team and one of the worst seasons in hockey in NHL history from a non-expansion team to we just barely squeaked into the playoffs by beating St. Louis in game 82 and then getting outclassed by the Predators in six games. And then going from that to, and you're back out of the playoffs. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the same because then think about it. You missed the playoffs in 2019. Are you still going to have the confidence that off season to be like, all right, we're pretty fucking good. Let's go trade for Kadri and let's go trade for Burakovsky and let's sign Donskoy and let's pick up this Nichushkin guy and really take that next step. Probably not. So that 2019 season was the other part where it got hairy late in January, February, March, April, where the Avalanche nearly missed the playoffs. Jared Bednar talked about that, and I thought that that was a big turning point in his career, in his life, in this franchise, in this team, in the fan base that celebrated a Stanley Cup. Had those months gone different, a lot of things would be different now. I guess what I'm almost reading between the lines and hearing is that Kale McCarr and his arrival to the Avalanche <laughs> saved everyone's career and kept this Avalanche train heading the direction well, it started in. Had the Avalanche missed the playoffs, he wouldn't have seen Kale. He didn't help them get into the playoffs. He came in game three against Calgary on home ice and scored a goal on his in his first game. Yeah, and then if I think what it was uh Calgary was up one nothing in that series when he stepped in, right? And no no no, he stepped in for game three. So the Avs had already three. won game two. The Avs had already Just won one, game one. two. Yeah, it was one one. But that's not the point. 
they could have lost to Calgary and Jared Bender probably wouldn't have been fired. It was the Calgary Flames. They were a 50-something win team and you were the second wild card. I don't believe the Avalanche would have fired Jared Bender. It was getting into the playoffs. It was the run that Gruby went on in March and April. And obviously not just Grubauer. You know, Nathan McKinnon ended the season with 99 points. The Avs won a lot of games because they scored a lot of goals. This is the season where Carl Soderberg and Matt Nieto and Matt Calvert was pretty much your second line. And then you had the Kerfoot Joe's Comfort College line. So the Avalanche made the playoffs, which gave Kale McCarr the ability. Because had they missed the playoffs, Kale McCarr would have finished the Frozen Four and sat until training camp in 2019 for the 1920 season. I don't know. I'm still going to give Kale McCarr the credit for keeping uh, this team from getting blown up and and from everybody backing up to square one. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with giving Kale McCarr credit for a lot of things because he's Kale and he's unbelievable. But either way, good to see Jared Bednar um, get the opportunity to stick around and keep you know, keep this window open. I mean, obviously he's deserved it. He's been a great coach and players have nothing but good things to say about him. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what they can do these next couple of years because everything's been so um, I guess for lack of a better word, awesome with Jared Bednar, because how yeah. unbelievable is it that this guy was able to find success at every single level of hockey? Yep. I mean, that's, that's, that's less about um, how good you are at, as, at, how good you are as a coach and more about how well you just know the game and can get guys to play the right style of play to win. Look, Jared Bednar, a lot of people for some reason, one one reason or another don't like him. And I know why people don't like him and why fans don't like him. It's because he's not the asshole that goes into the media and does what Pete DeBoer did or what Rick bonus did or what all these other coaches did. And you know what? That's just not his style, but he's still a Stanley cup winner. And as much as people want to sit there and talk about Jared Bednar, I I have so many examples of why this guy is such a good coach and one of the best in the NHL. Number one, it is not easy to coach a team full of stars. If you think that the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup despite Jared Bednar, look no further than the 2020, the, the 2004 Avalanche that had Korea Salani Sakic as their second line. Foot and, uh, foot and Blake on defense, Tange Forsberg, Hey Duke, and a young, inexperienced Tony Granato that didn't know how to coach that team. Or the guy that Mike Sullivan replaced uh, in Pittsburgh, I think it was something, uh, Mike Johnston, I want to say, who had no idea what he was doing with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016. They were out of a playoff position. Mike Sullivan came in, knew how to coach a star-studded team, got them all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Won the Stanley Cup, won it a second year in a row, and you know they haven't been there since, but they won two cups in a row with Mike Sullivan. John Cooper, who came in and replaced Guy Boucher, who was struggling with the team, who was unable to get them over the hump. John Cooper came in, earned the trust and the respect of his star players. Jared Bednar's done the same thing. But not only has Jared Bednar done that, a lot of these star players are star players because of Jared Bednar. Val Nichushkin was bought out by the Dallas Stars at the age of 22 or 23, signed a league minimum contract. He is now a $49 million player, and his skill and his talent obviously is on him, but he was able to show it because of the system that Jared Bednar runs that makes Val Nichushkin as successful as he is. The Avalanche traded a second rounder and a first round draft pick prospect in Justin Barron to Montreal for a player that had not hit 40 40 points or 20 goals in his career. That player went on Arturi Lekanen to score a Stanley Cup winning goal, 20 goals, 29 assists, 49 points in 62 games. Obviously, he's out with a broken finger now, going getting ready for another long and successful playoff run. You have goalies and Philip Grubauer, who because of the Avalanche system, pretty much tricked the Seattle Kraken into paying him a whole crap load of money to be an 890 goalie. 
Darcy Kemper winning a Stanley Cup with an 890-something safe percentage. Granted, I know that it's the eye injuries with Darcy. He's pretty skilled. Alexander Georgiev unleashing hell on the NHL pretty much this year with his I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Because of the system, obviously, you know, Georgi has done a great job this year, but it's because of the system that Jared Bednar implements. Taking guys like JT Comfort, turning him into what's looking like a 50-plus point season and a lot of money in his pocket this year because of the system that Jared Bednar implements. Making Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon two of the richest players in the NHL. Making Gabe Landeskog somehow up his game. Gabe Landeskog, ages 20 to 25, was a good 60-point forward. Now you expect 80-90 out of this guy. If he plays a full season, like Gabe Landeskog is 30 years old and is probably going to play better at the age of 31 next year than he did at the age of 21 or 23 or 24 when he was in the prime of his career. Jared Bednar's system is one of the best in the NHL. He's one of the better coaches. He earns the respect of his star players. Nathan McKinnon's a difficult guy to deal with. We joke about it all the time. He is not easy to deal with but he has a ton of respect for Jared Bednar. And what Jared Bednar speaks, Nathan McKinnon listens. He's one of the best coaches in the NHL. He deserves the contract he got. Uh, Pierre Lebron tweeted, or was it Darren Dreger? One of those guys tweeted that they were hearing that his contract is just under $5 million. He deserves every penny. That's one of the higher paying contracts in the NHL for coaches. Jared's here to stay. I'm excited. Everybody that follows the Avalanche should be excited too. Not only just the stars, but the the way he can, you know, I mean, I think Val Nichushkin's probably the most glaring example, but look at Dennis Malgin. Um, you know, there, there have been a handful of guys throughout throughout the years that that are nobodies when they get to the team and then suddenly they start producing, suddenly they really start taking a leap in their career. That's some credit to the front office, Joe Sagat, Christmas McFarlane, but that's a lot more credit to Jared Bednar for figuring out a way to use this guy to to maximize his potential. He puts players in positions to succeed, and more often they not, than not, they succeed. I mean, Nicholas Abe-Kubel just signed a contract extension with the Capitals for another year because they are happy with the production he is giving them in 38 games, having four goals and seven assists. On, with the Avalanche, he played 67 games. He had 11 and 11. Nicholas Abe-Kubel had 22 points in 67 games. And that was a waiver claim. Yeah, like how? Yeah. That's not a guy that should have been producing that much. Right. He does this with pretty much everybody that comes through. Yeah, there are some that slip by. You got the Dryden Hunts, Matt Nieto's, Galchenyuk. Matt Nieto's had some goals, but hasn't you know taken off to like a 25, 30 point level. That's fine. He's still playing his part. Devon Taves was a top four defenseman of a gem with the New York Islanders. Now he's a guy that's like top 10 defenseman in the NHL, would play on Team Canada with Kel McCarr if the NHL could get their shit together and have an Olympics or a World Cup or something. Like, so many people come through the system. Jack Johnson is in his second stint with the Avalanche after years and years and years of people laughing at this guy being one of the worst defensemen in the NHL. We were happy to see him come back to give the Avalanche more stability on the blue line. And he's done that. Like, you know, obviously to the level of his skill, he didn't turn him into a kill McCarr by any means, but like, this is what Jared does. And I don't think people realize enough what this guy means to the avalanche and what he provides for this team. Indeed. Indeed. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else we could say about Jared Ben are just, uh, excited to see again. I think 
it's a no brainer to extend him because they're in the middle of a window, right. And everything's going pretty decently well. So uh, yeah, easy decision from the avalanche, easy decision to pay him because you know, other teams are, are going to be hounding him if he ever becomes available. So um, yeah, good to see him stick around for a few more years. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. At least. And yeah, at least. And he, and he's one of the best guys to work with. Like, come on, we're, we're so fortunate every single day to walk into that press media lounge and, talk to jared bedner like yeah. we are so lucky to have and him. let's not forget who was manning the helm before jared bednar <laughs> the polar opposite of a guy who's nice to talk to yeah so shout out to jared i've seen a lot of coaches in the nhl come through where like you're almost intimidated as media to talk to them and the mm -hmm. people that have to cover them every day it becomes stressful jared is awesome man we can go in there and talk to him about anything and if your question sounds silly he'll still give you a good answer yep that's more of a you thing. I don't ask silly questions. <laughs> you ask one question a year and it's usually pretty damn good because you sit there for six months planning. How can I really wow the room? And yesterday was a pretty good question too. No, I mean, it, I, I like to observe. I like to watch, right? I'm, I'm very analytical and, and like to read people's body language. Not to mention it's a room full of journalists that ask very good questions. I'm just a hockey guy. Um, typically anything that's on my mind gets asked by you guys. So I'm just there to, to listen to your responses and gauge the body language that comes with the responses. That's, that's what I like to do. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, and I think we should end the podcast with the quote yesterday for the question you asked about, you know, you, you mentioned to Jared that both the avalanche and the penguins had something to play for Pittsburgh's playing for their playoff lives and jumping the Florida Panthers back into the second wildcard spot. The avalanche had an opportunity with a victory to be first place in the central, not just by points percentage, which they were a couple of days ago, but legitimately stats, points, everything, number one seed in the central. And honestly, I wasn't expecting him to say that this was something that mattered. I was actually surprised by Jared's answer. But what he said was, we talked about it tonight. It's a big moment for our team. We have a chance to go first in the division. So we know that we're going to play with urgency. 12 games left, sitting out of a wild card spot by one point. I didn't think there was any reason why we couldn't either. There's advantages to finishing first and that's what we're trying to track down. It's an opportunity for us tonight. We didn't get it done. So he did mention what you and I mentioned early in the podcast. Pittsburgh had a lot of urgency. They were fighting for a wild card spot. They were one point out and they got the game. But I love the part of the quote where he said, I didn't think there was any reason why we couldn't do that either. So great answer from Jared Bednar. The guy will always give you an honest answer. Uh, shout out to him. Shout out to him for the extension, for earning it. And well, for and another like, four like years of Jared. Yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, that, that locker room felt extra sad after a loss. I mean, it yeah. always is. They're competitors. They they're professionals. They knew that they let something slip there. And yeah. that's kind of where that question was rooted from. So, And it's it's not it's not the end-all, be-all. They can still win it, and they have a big opportunity, actually, to still win the division. But that was a big chance right there to see your team next to the number one. Cool, cool. Well, um, yeah, I guess here's a great place to, to end the podcast for now. Two sets against Arizona coming up, so should be easy, but you never know. You never know. It's the NHL, right? Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll be back uh, this weekend to, to break down that two-game set and see how everything panned out and see if the Avalanche can take control of the Central Division. We'll see how the Dallas Stars play tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yep, that'll be a fun one. So uh, you hope the Pittsburgh Penguins can bring that urgency again in a back-to-back -back with travel to beat the Dallas Stars if you're the Avs. Cool, cool. So, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us today on this version of the podcast. Any last thoughts, Arif? And let's get out of here. That's all for me. Let's wrap her up and talk again on something. Well, 
in that case, if you made it this far on the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.